Little Idiots. I'm your host, Katie Halper. I'm the other host, Aaron Nate. How's it going, Aaron? Not bad. Not bad. How are you? Good. You know, my my turtleneck is like falling in a weird way that it makes makes kind of makes it look like my chin is like crooked because like you can't really tell where the chin begins and the neck ends. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I who I wonder if the original turtleneck concept designer factored that in. Yeah, could have anticipated design. that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a good. I got this shirt. I, I can say that it's the only reason I'm going to say it's Calvin Klein is because it's from the Salvation Army. Mm. So I feel yeah. comfortable saying that. So it yeah, according be to well societal designed. rules, you're allowed to disclose the brand if you bought it from the Sally Ann. Oh my God, that rhymes. Yeah. You're allowed to say the brand if you bought it from a Sally Ann. I didn't know that. So that's like the official nickname for it because I know that that's what we call it in my household. Yeah, that's what we call it in my household too. Oh wow! So either either it's only exclusive to our respective households, yeah. or that's the official nickname. Right, it's a mate. It could be a mate helper, mate helper lore. <laughs> I did change my hairstyle as a result of internet bullying via this show. Oh, I mean, wow. yeah, that's I'll come out and admit that. Yeah, the the comments, just the nonstop comments, making fun of me for having bangs. I couldn't take it anymore, so I went yeah. to the barber and I was like, "Listen, these bangs have got to go." And wow. He complied. Anyway, the point is internet bullying works, everybody. So just keep at it. Whatever your cause is, keep on bullying on the internet. Yeah, keep on bullying. And yeah. if Aaron grows back his bangs, you'll know he's regained a sense of self. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you know, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we got the four food groups. Let's Should we get to it? it? Yeah, let's do it. So I got Democrats suck. And this week, sometimes we do this. We don't do official Democrats, but we do kind of like um, de facto uh, Democrats or Democrat media blue state media de facto, and, and dems. de facto dems yeah exactly so we're gonna watch a clip from the hill um because even you know anna navarro who we'll see who's um the daughter of a contra uh she's part of the resistance she was a republican i don't know if she's left the party but as you'll see Whoopi obviously is a democrat and so i just think of the view even though they always have some like token right winger um i don't even remember who it is now but they're pretty blue media, blue state media. So let's hear what they had to say. All and look, I, I but I think that's an incredibly relevant question. Yeah. And I think DOJ, in the same way that it is uh, setting up a task force to investigate oligarchs, should look into people who are Russian propagandists and shilling for Putin. That's being, if you are a foreign asset uh, to a dictator, mm -hmm. it should be investigated. In fact, I remember when Tulsi Gabbard, mm -hmm. and I even hate that we're discussing it because I think to myself, who is this woman? She's a, you know, she's no longer in Congress. She's a failed presidential candidate yeah. she only pra practically exists on twitter and the fact that we're giving her oxygen is what makes her relevant that we're talking about her on hot topics but on the other hand how do you not call out something that is repeating mm -hmm. false russian propaganda well, that has been I, brought down they used to arrest people for doing stuff like this if they thought you were uh colluding with a russian agent if they thought you were putting out information or taking information and handing over to russia yeah. they used used to actually investigate stuff like this. And I guess now, you know, there seems to be no bars. And people are not being told to hate Putin. Putin doesn't need a reason to be hated. It's pretty much clear. He started a war. He started a, an unnecessary but war. But this is kind of like, wanted. isn't this contributing to the death? Okay, so this, this starts out, they're talking about Tucker Carlson being pro-Putin. And then they transition to Tulsi Gabbard. And then they say that Putin is 
didn't you know no one needs to tell people why to hate putin uh he started a war genocide so sunny is now um saying it's genocide i haven't heard anyone call i mean we've heard a lot of nazi comparisons we've heard the, the thesis of which is basically like putin colon worse than hitler but i haven't he heard anyone accuse him of genocide but sunny who is considered an authority on genocide uh has deemed that it's genocide but what I like is that Whoopi Goldberg is like reminiscent for a time when people were arrested uh, if you thought they were working with the Russians. And I think she needs to go further. There was a time when you could be executed like the Rosenbergs. Why not bring that back? Or put into internment camps like oh, yeah, Japanese. Yeah, camps, right. Yeah, exactly. During the Second World War. So I yeah. think Whoopi, it's like go big or go home. Include the internment camps, include the executions of couples uh when you know that you are accusing them of trumped up charges i mean uh julius was involved with the soviet union not to the extent that they said he was and they definitely knew that ethel was not involved to the extent that she was and they tried to use her as leverage but they didn't uh she didn't cooperate and so they were killed the rosenbergs at sing sing in the electric chair i love uh what's her name anna navarro is that her name yeah. the contra lady yeah she's thing like who is Tulsi Gabbard she's a nobody she's a failed presidential candidate there's a lot yeah. of failed presidential candidates yeah Kamala Harris is a failed presidential True. candidate she got even less votes than Tulsi Gabbard did she had to drop out earlier than Tulsi did Tulsi is also a U.S. veteran and just the way people can smear her uh you know is just uh it shows how little respect these people actually have when they talk about how much they have to support the troops and worship right. the troops except for when they're people like Tulsi Gabbard who dissents on some key issues from the the party line, then they're foreign assets who deserve to be investigated. And the irony, the double irony of Anna Navarro doing it is that she, her father was a Contra, a the terror army that, you know, was used for a dirty war against Nicaragua in the 1980s to overthrow the Sandinista government. Right. And she also herself was a paid foreign lobbyist, foreign agent for the government of El Salvador, a very right-wing, corrupt government of El Salvador. And while the people of El Salvador were left impoverished, she made a lot of money from that. Something that Tulsi Gabbard has never done. Yeah. So it's just uh, the, uh, what can you say about these people, Katie? What can you say? It's, it's just, just, they never feel long, to they're, they're yearning for the days of McCarthyism. Yes, they are. Which I guess for Navarro is less surprising than it is for Whoopi, but Whoopi's made some questionable statements over her, you know, over her career. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is where this is where the view this is where the view probably plays an outsized role in our culture. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. The view probably is uh, is more influential and more of a presence in our lives than maybe it deserves to be. It's just so embarrassing. She first said there was a time when if you thought if you thought that people were working with the Russians, if you thought people were colluding, you'd arrest them. She skips over the then she says you investigate. But first, she what she's really hungry for is just going from thinking to arresting. By the way, you know, there was a time when Vladimir Putin was a favorite in Washington because there was hope back then that he would be an obedient client like Boris Yeltsin was when Boris Yeltsin was getting drunk and letting U.S. hedge fund managers pillage his country and create right. oligarchs. But there was a time when George Bush said he looked into Vladimir Putin's soul, right? Yeah. And he saw he saw good in Vladimir Putin's yeah. soul. He looked into so should George soul, Bush yeah. should George Bush be rounded up? He arrested should be. He should be for treason for once giving right aid and now. comfort to the enemy of Vladimir yeah. Putin. Yeah. I certainly do. I mean, I don't think Putin is Hitler, but I never would say that the guy's got a good soul. 
you know, I would never yeah. claim that he's I don't know if there's a know. soul there. <laughs> he's not the most soulful person. Yeah. He's definitely not the most soulful person. No. Yes, that's my Democrats suck. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. All right. Well, for Republicans suck, we have to kind of for Republicans suck. It's difficult because what is a Republican now? You have such a wide spectrum. You have the Mitt Romney crowd, you know, traditional Republican. Mitt Romney, of course, wanted a Cold War with Russia. He was once mocked for that by Democrats. But now Democrats are worshiping his feet and saying that we should apologize to him for daring to question the wisdom of having a new Cold War with Russia. But then you have the MAGA crowd who are not down with the Mitt Romney crowd on so many things like Russia, but then are, 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 are crazy, even crazier on other matters. So there's full spectrum, full, there's full spectrum Republicans suck, and we got to do the full spectrum today. So let's start with Mitt Romney, who um, had something to say about Tulsi Gabbard, just like the hosts of The View, where after Tulsi Gabbard talked about her concern over the potential of there being uh, biological weapons labs inside Ukraine, the potential. She wasn't saying that there are for sure, but she's saying that it's a concern now that Victoria Nuland had those comments before Congress where she was asked whether or not Ukraine has biological uh, or chemical weapons. And Nuland did not give a direct denial. She instead said that she was concerned that Russia could seize Ukraine's biological labs and use it, which just raised a whole series of concerns. And that's what Tulsi Gabbard was raising. And so Mitt Romney responds by saying Tulsi Gabbard is parroting false Russian propaganda. Her treasonous lies may well cost lives. Rhymes. It does rhyme. It does rhyme, Mitt. So let's give him props for that, actually. Yeah, I'll give him that. Her treasonous lies may well cost lives. That's, you know, you can't argue with that rhyme. You can't argue with that. Poetry, yeah. Yeah. Rhymes are very convincing. Like when Johnny Cochran did with the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. Like, yeah, that was good. It's hard to argue with that when it, it when you hard, find a yeah. rhyme. So that's pretty much the same device that Mitt Romney is doing here. Right. Her treasonous, li- her treasonous uh, lies may cost lives. Yeah. But it's crazy. And um, calling a member of the armed forces who served many duties in Iraq. Meanwhile, Mitt Romney skipped the Vietnam War. All five of his sons skipped uh, skipped military service, didn't serve in Iraq. And uh, Glenn Greenwald pointed this out, I think, that Mitt Romney, when he was asked about how his sons have served their country, if they haven't sacrificed, you know, by going to war, he said they served by getting him elected. <laughs> I mean, it's true. That is a major contribution <laughs> to this country. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So thank it's you, Romney like sons. Thank you, Romney sons. Whatever your names are, Tig, Tug. Uh, thank you for your service and getting your father elected. Yeah. And, which I'm sure was purely selfless on your parts and will have no material benefits in your personal right. lives, just like every nope. other kid of a of a famous politician. Yeah. Totally <laughs> selfless. Yeah. Like giving up your life. Let's actually stay on the Romney end. I just thought this was so funny. Yeah. This is Elliot Cohen, also on the Romney end. He is a Bush Republican. He served under the Bush administration, was an advisor to Condoleezza Rice while she was secretary of state. And check out what he said about Ukraine. We're waging a proxy war against Russia, and rightly so. Time to face up to what that implies, because Putin and the Russians are a lot weaker, 
and the Ukrainians a lot stronger than they look. My latest in the Atlantic. Of course, that's in the Atlantic, the right. uh, official journal of neocon propaganda. That's why Jeffrey Goldberg, editor-in-chief, is the guy who gave us stories in The New Yorker claiming that Saddam Hussein was working with al-Qaeda. And that's why David Frum, a Bush administration speechwriter who coined the axis of evil phrase, that's why he's also a top columnist at The Atlantic. So, of course, Elliot Cohen is writing that in The Atlantic. But props to him for being honest and admitting what Ukraine is really being used for, which is to wage, quote, a proxy war against Russia. Yeah, thanks for saying the quiet part out loud, right? I mean, Adam Schiff kind of went there when he said we're fighting Russia over there, so we don't fight them over here. But he didn't lay it out as a proxy war the way this guy did. So I want to thank him. He didn't say the words were we uh, proxy war. So proper's Elliot yeah. for uh, pointing that out, and proper's also for blocking me after I quoted you. I after I pointed out on Twitter that he had said that he blocked me immediately. Even wow. though I was thanking him for for being honest, I was appreciating his honesty. He's, he's modest. He doesn't. He's he doesn't modest. know how to take a compliment. Yes, he's too modest. Yes. Like some people yes. blush, and maybe you know, blocking someone is like the equivalent of saying, "Oh, stop it," and <laughs> blushing. Yeah. All right. So uh, turning to the other side of the uh, Republican spectrum, let's go to MAGA land and hear from a guy who goes by the initials of DJT anything getting critical race theory out of our schools is not just a matter of values it's also a matter of national survival we have no choice the fate of any nation ultimately depends upon the willingness of its citizens to lay down and they must do this lay down their very lives to defend their country If we allow the Marxists and communists and socialists to teach our children to hate America, there will be no one left to defend our flag or to protect our great country or its freedom. Wow. Props to producer Wilson for finding this clip, bringing it to our attention. And Katie, if you hear that, to defend the country, according to Trump, we have to lay down, (laughs) lay down our lives to protect the country from critical race theory being taught in schools. Yeah, it's a it's an existential threat. Every time critical race theory is taught, an American loses its wings. Yeah. And that's the Republican spectrum. On the one side, you have the Trumpers saying, like, we have to lay down our lives to protect ourselves from critical race theory. The other side, you have Romney and Elliot Cohen, those people saying, Lindsey Graham saying, we have to lay down the lives of Ukrainians right. to use them as cannon fodder against Russia. So everywhere... Someone has to sacrifice, whether it's Ukrainians in a proxy war against Russia or Americans somehow in a, in a war against critical race theory. Or don't forget the sons of Mitt Romney, who also the, have yeah. to sacrifice. Yes, it, it, yes, right, right. And they can sacrifice by helping their father get reelected. Right, yeah, yeah, by putting elbow grease into their father's campaign. Exactly. Which is almost like giving up your life. Yeah. All right, shall we go to, uh, isn't that weird? Yes, by the way, I'm so hot in this shirt. It's kind of a sweater. Not to dwell on this sweater, but I got to change out of this. And I don't want people to think that when they see my costume change, that's because I was were futzing around the neck uh, no. chin issue. It's just too hot. Gotcha. It's very so this warm is, everybody, this is not neck chin related. I don't give in to internet bullying, which obviously yeah. couldn't have happened yet because we didn't release <laughs> this. But I'll be right back in a cooler top. One second. All right. So isn't that weird? So this is a really fascinating story. Uh, let's go to the ABC news story. If we could just show that Wilson, please. All right. Police woman stabbed date in revenge of Iranians killing. 
Uh, police say a woman stabbed her date, whom she had met online, in retaliation for the 2020 death of an Iranian military leader killed in an American drone strike. Of course, that's Soleimani. Uh, major tragedy there. Uh, very handsome man. Also did a lot of good for the world. Uh, so let's reading the article. Uh, a woman stabbed her date, whom she had met online in retaliation for the 2020 death of an Iranian military leader killed in an American drone strike, police said. Nika Nikubin, 21, has been charged with attempted murder, battery with a deadly weapon, and burglary. Nikubian and the man met online on a dating website, Henderson police wrote in an arrest report, and apparently it was plenty of fish, by the way, so be careful if you're on that website. They don't do a very good vetting, apparently. The pair then agreed to meet at Sunset Station Hotel on March 5th, renting a room together. While in the room, the pair began having sex when Nikubin put a blindfold on the man, police said. Nikubin then turned off the lights, and several minutes later, the man felt a, quote, felt a pain on the side of his neck. End quote, KLIS reported. Nakubin reportedly stabbed the man in the neck, quote, for revenge against U.S. troops for the killing of Qasem Soleimani in 2020, police wrote in a report. Um, and then they fill in the article. U.S. forces killed Soleimani, a top general in Iran's military, in a drone strike in 20, January 2020. Soleimani headed the expeditionary Quds Force of Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, he, responsible for the Islamic Republic's foreign operations, he gained prominence for advising Shiite, Shiite paramilitary forces fighting the Islamic State group in Iraq before he was defeated in 2017. After the stabbing, the man pushed Nikubin off of him and ran out of the room to call 911, police said. She also ran out of the room telling a hotel employee that she had just stabbed a man. When talking to the police, Nikubin told an investigator she wanted revenge. And, this is interesting, uh, Aaron... I wonder if you could guess what song she said she was inspired by. She said she listened to a song which gave her the motivation to carry out her revenge. Guess what song it was. I have no idea what could no possibly. Idea. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, it's not, I don't, in fact, you'll probably know the lyrics. Maybe you could try to figure it out, but it's Grave Digger. She I gives don't... me money. Wait, what is it? Oh, no. You're thinking of Gold Digger. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, that's why I was so confused. That's Gold yeah. Digger. It's Gold Digger. No, yeah, not Grave Digger. So this song here, I she was listening know. to. She was listening to Grave Digger. All right, what song is that? That's different. I, I no was idea. thinking of the Kanye song yes. about a gold digger. Okay. Uh -huh. Apparently, well, there. I think Grave Digger is. Well, there's a theme song. I don't know. Let's. Oh, it's a song by Dave Matthews. What? From. His solo album, Some Devil. Well, you know, I've never liked uh, Dave Matthews, so I'm feeling very vindicated. But I do want to allow that possibly this was some other song, you know. Yeah, we don't be, know which one it is. They don't There's say the artist there, No, they right? don't say so, the artist, yeah. right. Yeah. Which is highly irresponsible. And now yeah. I will take the L for, that was my fault, the gold digger thing. That was yeah. my fault. I just mis but, misread it. You know, what's it. funny is if it's not if it's not the Dave Matthews song, then they're the then the outlets being ABC's being very mean to Dave Matthews because now people are gonna think that Dave Matthews song right. played a role in this awful incident. Right. And, that's very um, true. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's crazy. So, that's a that's crazy, crazy story. Yeah, that's weird, right? So I mean look, we, we knew there'd be blowback for Suleimani's killing. Yeah. We didn't anticipate it would come in this form. Yeah, well, it's an example of just why the U.S. shouldn't be assassinating people. Right, the blowback. It can create all sorts of blowback. Uh, a few days ago, Iran launched uh, missiles at, uh, or Iranian-backed forces launched missiles at 
a uh, U.S. facility in Iraq, uh, that, which they said was an Israeli training facility in apparent revenge for Soleimani's death. There's all sorts of consequences of that assassination that will continue for many years because Iran has vowed to take revenge. And this is a, on a very micro level, an individual example of that, someone who felt aggrieved by that and, and doing something horrific to take what she thought was revenge. And, and, a, and a guy, some guy out there was, was the victim. It's, uh, it's awful. Awesome. And very weird and very appropriate for and isn't very that weird, weird. Yeah. All right. So All for right. isn't that terrible? We're going to make the isn't this, isn't that terrible this week? A sort of certain branch of terrible, which is this week in mainstream media in the U.S. and elsewhere, Nazi propaganda. Where basically it's an unfortunate and inconvenient reality that the Ukrainian army that the U.S. is currently backing right now does have a serious neo-Nazi problem. It's the only army in the world that has a neo-Nazi battalion incorporated into its forces. And that's the Azov Battalion, which has in the past received U.S. weapons and training until the House passed amendments to block that. But even that there is not fully successful because it's very hard to control the flow of weapons once they actually reach Ukraine, as anybody knows. So this this means for U.S. media tasked with the job of basically whitewashing the Ukrainian military and trying to justify flooding it with more weapons, the presence of Nazis is awkward and it, they have to dance around it in very interesting ways or they just kind of acknowledge it but don't, or, or they kind of show the Nazis but don't acknowledge that they're Nazis. So for example, let's go to our first example from the New York Times. So this is uh, a Times update page, what happened on day 18 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and it shows two Ukrainian soldiers. And you see on their uniforms, Azov Battalion patches. And of course, no mention is made of what those patches mean, but these are the patches that uh, are inspired from Nazi insignia that come from the Nazi era. And the Azov Battalion is openly neo-Nazi. Its founders are neo-Nazi. Some of its members are openly and loudly neo-Nazi. And this speaks to their centrality to the Ukrainian military, that here they are patrolling a town and here they are being featured in U.S. media. And we just show their insignia and pretend as if there's nothing to be concerned about. I mean, we've seen this stuff happening with the mayor of a Ukrainian town who had a Stepan Bandera portrait behind him. He's a Nazi collaborator in Ukraine uh, from Ukraine. During the Nazi occupation, he was an outright Nazi collaborator and he was yeah. a major inspiration for the far right yeah. nationalist movement inside of Ukraine. In fact, we're going to see another example of that shortly. But let's go to our next clip. Yeah, so this is Nancy Pelosi speaking, uh, introducing uh, Vladimir Zelensky before his address to Congress. And she, if you scroll up a little bit, Dan Cohen will explain. She uh, shouts out Stephen ba uh, Stefan Bandera's glory to Ukraine slogan, um, which was popularized during the Second World War by Bandera, a Nazi collaborators uh, uh, group. And now it's repeated today, but that's where it comes from. It, it, it's essentially a Nazi collaborator slogan. So let's hear Nancy Pelosi shout it out. Mr. President, it is my honor to present to you the Congress of the United States, which has great respect and admiration and appreciation for your courageous leadership. Members of Congress, I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the President of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. Slava Ukraina! Slava Ukraina! It's Vladimir, by the way. Okay, 
What to share? Great to hear us. My colleagues, Slava Ukraina. Slava Ukraina. So just for good measure, let's do it one more time. Let's shout the Nazi slogan one more time. Yeah, Slava Ukraina. It's in the same way that Al Qaeda was normalized in Syria when that's the side the U.S. was backing. Now it's right. It's Nazis in Ukraine. The banderistas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's more. We got more examples. <laughs> Plenty more to get to. This is the Ukrainian ambassador to Germany, who says this. This is the translation. Stop demonizing the Azov Battalion as they are courageous fighters protecting their homeland. And this is playing into Russian propaganda. That is the German ambassador urging I mean, people not to criticize really, the Nazis. Yeah, you really, you're German ambassador. You, what are you doing? That's yeah. really, really, I mean, you couldn't get more. That's a great way to undermine. Not all, I mean, look, I'm just saying, have some humility. In Ukraine, when Joe Biden came to power, Zelensky's government offered what a top Zelensky aide called a welcome gift to the Biden administration, according to Time magazine by Simon Schuster of Time magazine. And that welcome gift included banning three opposition TV networks that were sympathetic to Russia and, and tied to you know pro-Russian oligarchs inside Ukraine. So it took them off of the air, leaving only networks like Ukraine 24, uh, which is owned by one of the country's richest oligarchs. And look at what a Ukraine 24 presenter said this week. I'll translate. I know as a journalist, I have to be objective, I have to be balanced to give you information with a cold heart. But to tell you the truth, it is very difficult to hold on now, especially at such a time. And since we are being called Nazis, fascists anyway, I can allow myself to quote the words of Adolf Eichmann, who said that in order to destroy a nation, it is necessary to destroy, first of all, children. Because after you kill the parents, the children will grow up and will definitely take revenge. By killing children, they will never grow up and the nation will disappear. The armed forces of Ukraine cannot annihilate Russian children because it is prohibited by the rules of war and prohibited by various conventions, including the Geneva Convention. But I'm not from the armed forces of Ukraine, and whenever I get a chance to massacre the Russians, I will definitely do it. Did you call me a Nazi? I adhere to the doctrine of Adolf Eichmann and will do everything in my power to ensure that both you and your children never live on this earth. In order for you to feel how it is when innocent civilians die, in order for you to feel the pain and suffering when you say, and we did not start the war, it was all Putin, we did not start this, we do not want this war. We didn't want the war either, but you must understand that we are talking about the victory of the Ukrainian people, not about peace, we need a victory. And if we have the if we have to butcher all your families for this, I will be the one of the first to do it. Glory to the nation. And we hope that such a nation as Russia and Russians will never exist on this earth again because they are just degenerates who are polluting this earth. If Ukrainians have the opportunity, if Ukrainians have the opportunity, and this is what we are they're doing now, generally speaking, butchering, cutting, and killing, strangling Moscovites. And I hope that everyone will contribute and kill at least one Muscovite. Since they're calling me Nazi anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to come out as as the Nazi that I am. Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, anybody who's living under bombardment who's being invaded by a foreign country, it's understandable that they're going to be outraged and call for killing their invaders. But this guy is not just calling for killing invading Russian soldiers. He's calling for killing all Russians, including their children. And he's invoking Adolf Eichmann yeah. and Nazi ideology to do it. But is this Rus fake Russian? Pe I mean, this is so bad. Yeah. Like, he's really leaning into the Nazi thing. He really is. 
I'm what he he adheres to the Eichmann doctrine. He's an Eichmannist. Yeah. Adolf Eichmann was a Nazi, by the way, just in case people don't know about this. And that's why when people talk about a Nazi problem inside Ukraine, again, not all Ukrainians are Nazis. No one suggests that the vast majority of Ukrainians, of course, reject Nazi ideology. But the point is, is that there is a contingent inside Ukraine that is influential and powerful from the armed forces to the media that does adhere to Nazi ideology. And it's a problem. And for Russian speakers in in Ukraine for the last eight years, it's been a war on them that has killed over 14,000 people. And that's the war that we're not allowed to acknowledge because we've been supporting it with billions of dollars in U.S. weapons and blocking a diplomatic solution. And by the way, I shouldn't, I I was being a little bit unfair to Eichmann. He was like one of the major organizers of the Holocaust, not just a Nazi. (laughs) Yes, oh yeah, no, not just a normal Nazi. He was, yes, of course. So that's that's isn't that terrible slash this week in isn't that Nazi? White, isn't that Nazi? We are so excited to bring on our guest, Abby Martin, um, extremely brave journalist. She has her own show called The Empire Files, which is excellent. She also was on RT and uh, we're going to talk to her about that and the recent decision by YouTube to remove all of her videos. And she's the director of a great documentary called Gaza Fights for Freedom. Welcome, Abby Martin. Welcome back to Useful Idiots. We're so excited to have you on. So thank you for gracing us with your presence. (laughs) I'm so happy to join you guys. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to start off. uh, There's so much to talk about Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, Yemen, censorship. But I thought a good place to start would be censorship and the status of all of your episodes of um, Breaking the Set, which is the show that you had on RT America. Please tell us what, where people can find those episodes now. That's a good question, Katie. Uh, luckily, I found out that my mom actually recorded them all. <laughs> like every day she recorded the episode on some program on her computer. So I was like, thank God for moms, man, because wow. uh, I don't know where those episodes uh, could be found now. And, you know, just for people who maybe don't understand what happened, like this is, you know, this is the culmination of a years long censorship campaign started with the algorithmic backpaging of alternative media, um, the acquiescence to the state on behalf of these Silicon Valley giants that tasked themselves with fact-checking and the curation of our reality that brought us to the point that precipitated this overt outright ban on all RT programming, the removal of entire libraries of shows, thousands of critical interviews about empire, about the corporate state that we live in. So it was it was pretty devastating. And even though I think we knew that this was inevitably coming, nothing can really prepare you for that loss. Even if I had a huge archive of all 600 episodes, that was the main vehicle to share all the content, like all of the dead links, all of the community that that was a part of that. It, it's it's devastating. Wow. On your point, Abby, about this being the culmination of a years long campaign to normalize censorship and to demonize dissenting views. Let's put up the tweet, Wilson, of Abby from January 2017, right after this so-called intelligence report from the so-called U.S. intelligence community came out that contained, it was about alleged Russian interference. And this was this was the report that essentially kicked off, you know, the nonstop Russiagate mania. And it included this lengthy section about RT and specifically singled out Abby's show, Breaking the Set. So Abby tweeted at the time, this is January 2017, 
Official DNI report on Russia says my show Breaking the Set that ended two years ago helped cost Hillary the election. And let's click on the uh, screenshot. RT introduced two new shows, Breaking the Set on 4th September and Truth Seeker on 2nd November. But again, this is way, this is years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, both overwhelmingly focused on criticism of U.S. and Western governments, as well as the promotion of radical discontent. From August to November 2012, RT ran numerous reports on alleged U.S. election fraud and voting machine vulnerabilities, contending that U.S. election results cannot be trusted and do not reflect the popular will. So this so-called intelligence report really was essentially like a, I don't know, high school, maybe university level media (laughs) critique that singled out your show, Abby, and it set the stage for everything that followed. I mean, I I don't know what you thought back then, what was going to come next, but you rightfully pointed out at the time how insane it was that the U.S. intelligence community was doing analysis of your show and somehow tying that to Hillary Clinton losing the election. It was a fascinating moment because, you know, for months and months we'd been hearing that Russian propaganda, this, you know, basically this diagnosis that Russian propaganda did this, right? Like it brought us Donald Trump. And it was really shocking as someone who'd worked for RT for so long and kind of knowing the minimal impact actually that the network did have uh, very few watchers, you know, and I knew obviously this talking point was completely false and they were greatly exaggerating the impact of Russian propaganda, but nothing could prepare me for the actual report because I thought they'd actually put a little bit more into it. And it really did seem like a cursory attempt, a two hour job from some intern at the Atlantic council, throwing together this haphazard analysis that was supposed to be the end all be all uh, of how Russian propaganda did this. sowed the seeds for the loss of Hillary Clinton and, as you rightly pointed out, I mean, it, it really is nothing more than talking about how we aired grievances and issues that exist, right? These deep divisions that essentially were exploited by, by the sinister Kremlin operation, really what RT America did and was, it was just a network that filled a, a gaping hole left by the corporate media's institutional failures. And you know, cynically or not, this is this was what the network did. It uplifted fringe voices from across the political spectrum for better or worse. And I would argue for better. A, a lot of people who were really prominent anti-war dissidents were given platforms that they would never be given anywhere else. And when you look at this analysis from the intelligence community, it really does reveal what the threat of RT really was. The threat was that these marginalized and oppressed voices were given platforms. And these issues that are forbidden viewpoints, like fracking, (laughs) amazingly was in the report, uh, third party candidates talking about anti-capitalist views and highlighting things like socialism, that was the threat. And by the way, there was far more diversity of uh, opinion on RT than in any U.S. uh, private network. I remember when Russia took Crimea back in 2014, you called that out on the air. You protested that. You said you you disagreed with that. Imagine a uh, major U.S. cable host on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News uh, voicing that level of dissent when it comes to a major U.S. military operation. You you barely see it. So even the allegation that RT was always just promoting the Russian narrative is just completely false. And on that point, I wanted to ask you, I mean, were you ever told, were you ever pressured over what your editorial line was when you read RT for, for many, for doing hundreds of episodes? 
No, and that's what's so amazing about this whole thing. It's actually the opposite of this cartoonish depiction of this Putin top-down propaganda network. It was really hands-off. It was a lot of really well-intentioned journalists just wanting to do really good work. And a lot of the successes of RT were almost despite management because of the hands-off attitude and a lot of the stuff. Um, you know, a lot of my colleagues, really incredible reporting came out of that network, Aaron. And, and my whole show at Breaking the Set, I was never told anything at all. In fact, the day that I felt uncomfortable with my position at the network and wanted to distinguish myself from the editorial line for the first time, you know, in that moment that troops were amassing at the border of Crimea, I thought, look, I, I feel strongly about this and I want to distinguish my voice. And I felt uncomfortable for the first time just with the entire editorial line for the first time I felt like it was reflecting the Russian state, which is obvious. It's in the name. The bias is very clear. And my boss was like, look, if you feel strongly about this, then then say whatever you want to say. Because I even said, look, I, I'm willing to walk out the door if you don't let me have control over, over this. And he was like, go for it. And it wasn't just that one remark you know, it wasn't just this token statement that that proved that RT had editorial freedom. I talked about Ukraine and Crimea for months and months after that. There were several debates that we had also about Syria before that. My producer, Manny, I mean, brought up the Russian role in the Syria war. I mean, there was so much nuance and complexities with our coverage. And it is just completely offensive that people take this line about the network with really never having watched the programming, Aaron. And the story is often told as you spoke out against Crimea and then you were fired. The truth is, though, you spoke out against Crimea and then you continued working there. I continued working there for almost a year. Um, the only reason that I left was purely personal differences in a managerial you know, conflict. It had nothing to do with the politics at all. Um, in fact, after I after I said what I did, there's a really fascinating thing that happened. I don't know if I could tell this story really quickly because I think it speaks a lot to how much they want to control and undermine RT's legitimacy. Um, right after I spoke out, I was given this international platform. Mind you, when I when I said what I did, I didn't think anything would happen. I just did it because I had moral consistency. I didn't think that overnight I would be like plastered on the front pages of every fucking newspaper in the world. Like it was really an open invitation to join any corporate media outlet and just say your piece because I was the anti-Russia hero and dissident on Russian backed media. Quickly, I realized that I was being used by Western propaganda. So I flipped the script and tried to explain that they were part of the problem. They were warmongering, fearmongering, complicit in all of this. And, and it quickly became unuseful. And so, of course, I became fully exposed and I started to be called a conspiracy theorist. They actually posited that I was a false flag on behalf of Russia to to claim that the network had legitimacy, that they were propping me up as their pawn. It was very to fascinating. Suggest that there was a kind of tolerance for dissent, that there wasn't. Exactly, right? exactly. And so the next day, um, a colleague of mine who was totally apolitical, never had an opinion. I mean, she was just a, a script reader reading anchor. And she had told me before that a Daily Beast journalist named Jamie Kerchick, who's basically also a pawn of Bill Crystal, the famous Iraq war architect. He worked at his think tank called FPI, the Foreign Policy Initiative in DC. She told me that this journalist had been hounding her for months to try to quit RT and do a big tell-all about the network. And he would get her a job, like he would secure a better job for her. And she was like, you know, I really hate my job. I've been wanting to leave for a long time. She was working there for like three years before this happened. And I was like, well, why would you do that? You're going to throw all of your work under the bus and also all of your colleagues. Like, don't do that. That's a really shitty idea. This guy's using you. 
So next thing you know that happened, she resigns live on air. I can't stand for this Kremlin-fronted propaganda network. And then she just immediately has this giant media tour lined up for her, a big tell-all in the Daily Beast. And what you saw come out after that, according to Max Blumenthal and Rania Kalik in Truth Dig, is that neoconservatives stage-managed the entire resignation for their own gain and to undermine my attempt to prove my own editorial freedom, which, as you say, Aaron, is kind of uh, startling the fact that at this alleged propaganda network, I was able to do what I did and pave that editorial freedom for months that followed. This wasn't just a one-off. And, and really you have to ask yourself, why is it that these people who become dutiful, dutiful stenographers for the foreign policy establishment, whenever there's anything happening, the Venezuela coup, this assassination of General Soleimani, or right now the war in Ukraine, why is it that they can't pave their own editorial freedom and put their jobs on the line if they disagree? And the answer is that they either can't, in the likes of Phil Donahue, Jank Uger, Jesse Ventura, um, or that they don't want to because they believe in the messaging that they're presenting. And either way, it, it, I think it's a stark indictment of our, our media system today. Yeah, Phil Donahue was famously taken off of the air at MSNBC in the run-up to the Iraq war, not because his ratings were low, his ratings were actually pretty high, but because the network, as we found out from leaked memos, didn't want his anti-war message on air, it didn't fit in with their brand. And Jesse Ventura was like, signed a deal with MSNBC, and then he was paid a severance not to go on air, because they realized that he was going to be anti-war. And that sent a message. It sends a message when that happens, that if you're going to dissent from the party line, then you'll be canceled. And uh, people follow suit. I had forgotten that that the RT resignation you talked about was followed your active dissent. So it's such a funny story. We you have, have a genuine this, active dissent. Mm -hmm. And because it doesn't go the way neocons want it, they orchestrate an on-air resignation. And... Jamie Kerchick, you mentioned, he's talked about wanting to make it so that nobody feels comfortable ever working at RT. And if you do work at RT, that you never work in this town again. That's essentially what his agenda was. And no surprise that he played a role in that in that stunt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he wanted to make it so that you were a pariah. And basically they did. I mean, the far registration, the sinister labeling of Russian media, it made it untenable to even be a journalist there. It was impossible to book interviews. And then, of course, inevitably, they had to shutter its doors, I'm assuming, because of the ruble's collapse or sanctions. But I don't think anyone actually knows yet what happened. We actually have the video, Wilson. I just oh, put Lord. it in the, in the chat if you want to look at the wall, Liz Wall video. Oh, I think it's really instructive because you see her uh, checking her notes. Like, it's, it's, I feel bad for her. She's so clearly not being authentic. Like, she's, it, it's clear that she's checking her notes, basically, like not speaking from the heart. A dramatic move today by an anchor for the network Russia Today America. Her name is Liz Wall. She's an American who works in uh, in the Russia Today America's Washington bureau. She accused her employer of glossing over the actions of Vladimir Putin in Crimea. And then on the air, she quit. Take a look. I cannot be part of network funded by the Russian government that whitewashes the actions of Putin. I'm proud to be an American and believe in disseminating the truth. And that is why, after this newscast, I'm resigning. <laughs> Liz Wall joins us now. This is her first TV interview since quitting RT America. Also, Jill Doherty is back with us. She'll also be uh, asking questions. Liz, it's good to have you on the program. Obviously, your announcement stunned a lot of people. Why did you decide to resign during your newscast? Because you've been working there for like two and a half years. 
clearly you're familiar with the the perspective of RT America, the, the kind of stuff, the kind of stories they put on the air. So why today? Why today? Uh, that's a good why question. Today? I think the coverage, uh, I mean, as we're in this diplomatic standoff and during the escalation of this crisis in Crimea, I think the, the, the propagandist nature of RT came out in full force. Um, today, for example, I had an interview with Ron Paul. The only question that I asked, I, or, or I asked many questions, I asked about the Russian intervention. You know, he has a very uh, anti-intervention approach. I asked him uh, in the wake of escalation by the Russian military, how long, um, you know, how should we respond to this? How should the U.S. respond to this? And um, that question was cut out of the interview. There was another segment today. Uh, it was a, a, a news package from one of our correspondents that painted the opposition over there in the Ukraine as uh, having neo-Nazi elements. And I think that's very dangerous when you have... Uh, a new government Yee. instability over there. And, and I'm sure that there are, in fact, neo-Nazi neo elements, elements. But to, to portray the entire opposition uh, as being part of this right-wing extremist uh, group is going along with the narrative that Vladimir Putin so was this wants to go along with. Was and, this something and, you... Was this something you had always felt pressure? I mean, how, how, how does it work at RT? How, you know, where do directions come from? The direction comes from uh, management. And I think uh, there's a lot of young people that work there, some people inexperienced. And I think that they're eager to please management. There's a, a form of self-censorship that you learn. Uh, eventually, you learn what management likes, what management dislikes. Uh, today, especially with, with the heightened situation in, in Crimea, overtly questions have are, are, are being written. Uh, they're very, very loaded questions. Questions basically to, to paint the picture and, and to present the Putin perspective in all of this. And, and I just think, I mean, I would hope uh, as a reporter and in life, you should always seek the truth uh, spread the truth, disseminate the truth. And what's clear is what's happening right now amid this crisis is that RT is not about the truth. It's about promoting uh, a Putinist agenda. And I can tell you firsthand, Putinist. it's also about bashing America. That was so read off of her notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I feel bad. I could have just coached her to do better. She just had to memorize. A she has one job. One job, you know I mean? dude. Which is like to look like you believe the shit you're saying. Yeah, you should. There's a better interview almost with her with Neil Cavuto, where Neil Cavuto is just like, so who do you want a job with? And she's like, yeah. I'll take a job with anyone. Yeah. He's she's like, like I'd love you, a job with MSNBC? CNN. She's like, yeah. No, he's like, MSNBC. She's like, maybe. And yes. Yes. And he's like, CNN? what job offers have you gotten? She's like, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't remember now. I'm or Jamie like promised her a job and she never materialized. Yeah, I she mean, ran for Congress, apparently. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's, I mean, the sad thing about it is that because propaganda is so like you don't even really need to try. Like very few people know even about this. And I think the majority of people now conflate me with her and they, they just do, yeah. they just they just think that oh my god these anchors resigned because they were disgusted with russian propaganda and even like it worked so well 
she went on the Colbert Report. Like she was a superstar for a week you, um, because she gave them exactly what they wanted. Abby, you opened the doors that she could then go through. Without you speaking truth to power, she could never have pretended to speak truth to power and I mean, pretended to have something interesting and important to say. I mean, if she had any brains at all, she would know that that's kryptonite for any news organization. You don't right. resign live exactly. and throw your entire job under the bus. Like, exactly. <laughs> but Jamie forgot to tell her that part. When she's like, I'm proud to be American, it's like, I'm proud to be, I'm a patri she's patriotic. I yeah, mean, she really, patriotic. and I like how she was just like, it's a Putinist agenda. Like what? No, not a Putin. She's like, it's a Vladimir. <laughs> Putinist agenda. Looks down at her notes. For people who are just listening, there's a lot of looking down at, on her to the right of her bottom right. Um, yeah. That's what's so funny about it. It's like, it's called Russia today. Yeah, that's right. People were like, did you just find out what yeah, the RT stood right. for? I know. That's I'm like, you're proud to be an American? Like, I mean, there's this whole subversive argument. You could say you're proud to be an American, which makes you an internationalist. Fine. But like, she's clearly not like, no. she's just reading lines there and reading lines once again in her. I know. It's day. so sad. It's yeah. so it sad, but it worked. Cynical. The stunt worked. It did work. And it speaks to how cynical these neocons are. They'll exploit anything and they'll exploit anyone, even you know, getting someone to basically throw away their career just right. for a, a stunt that serves their agenda in the moment, which itself comes from this like maniacal desire to counter the impact of your dissent and the, your dissent not going the way they wanted. Not fitting into the neocon narrative, yeah, yeah. or nationalistic jingoistic narrative. Because when you went on NPR, right, you said to NPR that they got funding from questionable sources, right? Like, oh yeah, no. People, can you talk a little bit about how you leverage your opportunities um and also how they responded to it when you brought that stuff up yeah because really quickly it was just like like how was it to work for this overt propaganda network and i was just like look every media organization that has questionable funding is propaganda in one form or, or another so let's be honest about that and let's talk about the funding that goes into npr and how that affects your reporting do you self-censor about about the bp oil spill you know just straight up it was like very uncomfortable from the get because I, it was uncomfortable to remind these people that they are also participating in, in the exact same stuff. It's like, at least I can navigate the bias of my network. Right. It's very obvious. I don't right. know if how Pfizer is affecting your reporting about COVID. How is, you know, uh, how is uh, Lockheed Martin affecting your reporting about Ukraine? It's like very, very insidious. And um, when I went on Piers Morgan, I mean, it was the same kind of thing. I was just like, MSNBC and CNN are as way more responsible, actually, not as responsible, way more responsible for setting the stage for this potential conflict to break out. Um, and it's really, really damaging. And I also brought up the fact that corporate media is controlled by five corporations and it's a huge problem. And so I just was only given like a couple minutes before I was cut. Um, I actually did an interview with BBC too that was never aired because I brought up why aren't they, you know, lambasted as being state-funded propaganda. So it was just very... It was very funny the way that it unfolded. And then you saw them actually smearing me as a, as a lunatic conspiracy theorist, right? So then they had to basically just character assassinate me because they didn't know what to do with me at that point. <laughs> right. right. It's, it's like RT is called RT, which used to stand for Russia Today. But NPR is not called like BPT today. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's, you know what you can look for or what biases to look for with RT. You don't when it's corporate like f sponsorship that's in the shadows. You don't have your guard up to know. 
Exactly. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, I mean, this is a bit different, but a similar theme of, if you remember that the young Syrian child, Alan Curdy, who's picture, you know, washed up on a shore in the Mediterranean, trying trying to flee okay. Syria. And his his aunt, Tima Curdy, went on MSNBC once, and they expected her to basically spout the regime change narrative uh, for, for Syria. You know, we have to flood Syria with more weapons, support the moderate rebels, basically destroy the country in the name of democracy. And she didn't. She called out the U.S. for backing sectarian death squads in Syria and said that, like, treating Syria as this battleground for all these different states was destroying Syria and, and leading to the deaths of, of people like Alan Curdy. And so she was on MSNBC. She said that never heard from on corporate media ever again. They just she's just not she's not useful to the narrative. So even though she's the she's the aunt of of this young boy who lost his life, she was never welcome back again because just her narrative wasn't convenient. That's absolutely just disgusting. It makes me fucking sick to hear that because it's like I'm one thing, but that this is a woman of a dead child who was exploited and weaponized around the world. And it's like, you don't want to hear from the mother. You should be ashamed. Yeah. Or the aunt. My God. It reminds me of this. I mean, God, we can obviously we can go to Ukraine, but the most horrific thing I've seen out of Ukraine so far is actually the massacre done by the the insurgent side um of course not to say that there aren't war crimes being committed everywhere and heinous atrocities happening but it's like this isn't useful for the west to show that the people that we're putting weapons in the hands of are are also committing atrocities yeah the ones that we're actually directly arming that's not convenient for us to talk about the ones that we have direct control over god you guys this is just it's just the most depressing thing to think that world war three is actually based on what our politicians are going to decide to do. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Well, listen, a very very positive thing, Abby, is is all the work you and Mike Prezer do. So how can people follow you and the Empire Files? Check us out on Empire. I don't even say YouTube anymore. Just check us out. On, I mean, <laughs> at this point, it's really sad that I have to say this, but like we all have to survive under capitalism. So I, I honestly, I'm just going to start saying follow us on Patreon. I mean, we we really have all of our content for free. The only thing we have behind paywalls is a couple podcasts, but it really does help you guys because at this point, we have to just follow the journalists that we know that we can trust. And that means you guys and, you know, the pool is dwindling, but like, we have to survive in the model that we live in. And, and that's going to take everyone. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but you can follow us at, at Patreon, the Empire Files. Of course, I host a podcast with my brother called Media Roots Radio. You can follow that on all podcast platforms and check out Earth's Greatest Enemy. It's going to be a really, it's going to be a doozy. And what's the website for that again? Earth'sGreatestEnemy.com. Awesome. Really excited. Gaza Fights for Freedom is so great. All the work that you guys do is so great. So I encourage everyone to follow you. This is sad, Katie. I was looking at that photo of us at the New York screening of Gaza Fights for Freedom and Michael Brooks was just, you know, just there in the background. And it yeah. just life is just so fleeting. And it's it's a it's a lot, you guys. And I know it's like a really dark time, but um <laughs> I, I wish I had some positive words to to close this out, but like just hug your friends and family while we're all still here, you guys. It's it's a really hard time and hopefully we can um pressure our government to step back and de-escalate and that's really all we can do is yeah. is you know try to inject some sanity in this conversation because the propaganda is stronger than it ever has been that was great abby martin great as always abby is stellar she's a force for good everybody she check really her out is. the empire files 
always great to talk to her. Yeah, so great to talk to her. Uh, and also make sure that you join our Substack this week if you're not already a member. And if you are a member, thank you and stay joined. Stay joined. Uh, we have an extended interview with Abby Martin and we have a, you know, uh, an update, a Young Turks versus Aaron Mate update for you. They're after me again, everybody. They're after him again. The Turks are after me again. The Turks. And this is where on our Substack only feed, I get to uh, make fun of them. Yeah. So uh, follow us along there. Yeah. If you want to see the latest. So we will be seeing you on Monday morning. That's at 10 a.m. on YouTube.com slash Useful Idiots. Make sure you subscribe to, the, to us there on YouTube. Uh, we'll be doing our regular Monday morning live stream where we react to the Sunday morning shows that we watch so that you don't have to. Then you can catch us on Colin at 11 a.m. And then we'll be releasing our formerly paywalled extended interview with Oliver Stone, who is the subject of more headlines once again because the documentary that he produced, Ukraine on Fire, has been removed by YouTube. Luckily, you can still find it now on Rumble. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.